0: Hello and welcome to EG's Office Politics, the podcast built at the intersection of the politics and real estate mainlines. In this party conference special, I am joined as ever by my coalition partner, former Conservative Minister of State, Mark Prisk. Good afternoon, comrades. Good afternoon. You prefer the title potentate, though, don't you, Mark? Is that right? I do.
1: I'm, I'm modest, as always, so I always yeah. feel
0: that uh,
1: potentate is fine, but uh, just, you can just call me sir. Very good, sir. And you you're no stranger to a party conference, are you, Mark? No, no, I'm afraid I, I have the scars of probably at least 25 of them. God bless. 25. Him. Oh yeah, So I started young, you know, when I when I was in uh, in Nappies. But um, uh, they're a strange affair because they're the mix of the sublime, the ridiculous, and the realisation that some of this is probably being recorded on national television. And so you <laughs> hear between. Of course, that used to be just in the party conference hall, but then with mobile phones you know stuff gets transmitted that's not intended for transmission um so it, they're an unusual blend and i feel for melanie if she's had to go to all three because that is beyond the call of duty
0: well that's it so so i think our, our special guest might even be able to beat you with your record of 25 but um uh, because this episode we're joined by chief executive of the british property federation melanie leach melanie you're clearly a glutton for punishment i mean you, you've you went to Conservatives and Labour. Did you go to the Lib Dems or the SNP or anybody else? Afternoon, Piers. And uh, for the record, I
2: I am in awe of Mark's uh, aspirations to be a potentate. I have no such aspirations myself. Although I do hang up <laughs> for <in> the <laughs> days when chief executives of trade associations were more commonly called directors general. I think director general is quite a quite a grand Sounds title. Good. So maybe I should be. Revert, revert to that
0: well I think I'll, I'll try to call mark sir for the the, the podcaster and you DG does that work
2: absolutely doesn't that yeah. sound great
0: okay. very good DG <laughs> um,
2: yeah. so actually I'm not I mean I was at uh both uh, in both Manchester and Liverpool. I wasn't in with one of my colleagues was. Um, but I, I'm not a, a huge glutton for punishment. I've done a number of party conferences over the year, but I, I don't think I've got, got near 25, because remember I was a civil servant for many years. Uh, party conferences are forbidden for civil servants, so I have a very healthy kind of uh, skepticism or um, wariness about party conferences the first time I crossed the fence to the dark side of working for industry and trade associations. <laughs>
0: You must be particularly well placed then, um, because one of the comments that came out about the the Conservative Party conference was that quite a lot of the policy that came out was the sort that you would expect to happen without civil servants being present to say, um, hang on, we announced that in 2008. And no, you can't do that. It's already been built. And other sort of boring things that a quick check on Google might suggest. Um, but we'll, we'll get onto that later when we, we actually delve into the policy. But Having been to both party conferences of of the two main parties uh, over the past two weeks, what was your feel about it? Because they they seem to have been very different creatures. I think
2: they're always very different creatures, actually, um, because I think there are sort of... uh, you know, the that, that the two the two tribes if you like or the two the two herds you know have very different characteristics and mm. uh, I suppose my reflection and I'd be really interested in Mark's thoughts on this I'm actually my reflection certainly in Manchester of the Conservative Party conference so it, was, it it played slightly less true to type than I. Remember, you know, they're kind of so you could stereotype, you know, you sort of blue rinse brigade from the shahs on the one hand and uh, the workers, you know, on the other hand, as it were. Um, actually, I don't, Manchester didn't really feel like that. But then Manchester got, you know, very well and truly hijacked, you know, by a combination of HS2, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to. Um, and the sort of Nigel and Liz show actually finding the sort of roots of the what was really happening and what was really important, and where they're sort of critical and yes. it was quite hard, I think.
1: I'd, I'd agree with, with Melanie that um, they are very different tribes. Uh, they have evolved both socially um, and politically, I think. They used to be quite open, organic events at both cases, and Labour, of course, set their national policy uh, in government in many ways at their conference, you know, with the sort of block votes back in the 70s and 80s. So... Mm-hmm. They've evolved and moved on from that. Um, I think what's happened is that they've become more formal in the halls and more interesting in the fringe. I think very often it's understanding what's not said sometimes that's important. What I what I thought, just from a party management point of view, was interesting. The, the, the dynamic is always that each day you need a story to make sure that um, uh, that is what, you know, if you're trying to manage, you, you get three or four days of concentrated focus on your party, so. With the media so you really want to make sure you're getting a key message across Mm. what was interesting i thought was that rishi sunak decided to put all his eggs into the basket of his speech at the back of the conference which left this this vacuum in terms of what journalists would talk about and you know any uh, keen follower of the west wing or anything else political will know if you don't feed the media monster it will start to go looking around for victims of its own and that's where i think the excitement of you know, the prospect of Pretty Patel uh, joining Strictly uh, with, with Nigel Farage, you know, starts to become more important um, because actually the, the other ministers, cabinet ministers, were, basically all their announcements were put into the PM speech. So you always get a bit of attention like that, but I thought it was particularly acute um, that time. Um, equally, in in media handling, I didn't really understand why they should have bitten the bullet. Once it was known that there was a likely decision on HS2, you can't let it run like a saw and uh, leave a vacuum. You, you, you just have to bite the bullet. And within two or three days, I think before going to conference, he should have actually got, come out and said, this is what we're going to do and set it out with a bit. And, and I will explain to you, you know, it just felt rushed. And, and I think um, there's a very good argument for saying that HS2 has become out of control and that actually many people in cities in the north might prefer local projects and other projects rather than a single line with a single aim. But the way it was handled, I think, meant that it it came out in the worst possible way. So not not a good time for the Tories, whereas I thought my impression was the mood at Labour was um, serious, focused, and always that trepidation, I know from talking to Labour MPs, um, you know, it, what was it, 64, 97, those are the two times when the Labour leaders have come to conferences with a realistic expectation of being the next prime minister and elected directly. And so this is a moment when they know they need to, as he put it, as, as Starmer put it, uh, show they're about power and not about protest. And uh, in a funny way, the, the, the fool that uh, was throwing glitter around, actually, I think probably did Keir Starmer a lot of, uh, a lot of good in, a fun, in an
0: odd way. Going back to to just this this the different feel, what was it like um, in in the fringe, Melanie? With, because you were at quite a number of of fringe events, and you were also around in the in the pit with the various businesses and and lobbyists. What was what was the feeling between the two? I mean, I think
2: the the junior ministers, certainly the ones that are most relevant to us, worked incredibly hard. In Manchester, I mean Rachel McLean was everywhere, yes. absolutely everywhere, uh, talking about housing, uh, particularly, uh, and very much on on a message. And you know, I think uh, there was a there was an attempt to be really clear and on message, um, which largely stuck, I think. Um, mm. But I think it, you know, it, it, so so to Mark's point, really. Manchester is kind of it felt like all the hard work was being done on behind the scenes and that wasn't what people were talking about or, or noticing uh, and there were some really good conversations you know, I had some really good conversations with ministers whilst I was in Manchester you know, all of that was going on but but unseen really mm. uh, whereas in Liverpool it was incredibly well drilled and incredibly well managed um, and so you did have Uh, sectors of state you know with their day making their announcements that all ran as it should have done ran like clockwork. and yeah i mean the the junior shadow ministers were also working incredibly hard um and again people don't really see that you know you see the big headline features and you know but actually there's a huge amount of hard work that goes on they run from one event to the other put themselves up to be talked to debated with etc and, and I really admire them for that actually it's not you mm. know mm. it's fine if you're a sort of grandstanding and you've got your one moment in the spotlight but actually it's really hard work for those people who you know do do the brunt of the work whether it's in government or opposition and you certainly saw that in
0: debate. I mean it's often hard enough work trying to actually find where you're meant to be isn't it I mean, I remember just covering fringe events of finding it impossible to actually read any of the maps or understand any of the locations. I, I turned up at some really interesting places I was not meant to be. Um, usually got some better stories as a result. That, <laughs> let's look at the, the the announcements themselves. So, with the Conservatives, there was an attempt um, to try and set out a stool of a party that's been in power for 13 years being the change. I mean, that's a hard trick to pull off, but Breaking with this consensus politics idea and turning almost retrofitting the scrapping of HS2 to fit that narrative seems like an incredibly bold decision to make and and to hang a speech around. Is that how it felt um, on the ground, Melanie? Did did you get the sense that, that this was something that had been pulled together, just scrabbling for policy where there is, in fact, chaos? Or did it feel like it was part of something that was was deliberated, that had been thought through?
2: I mean, there's, there's two ways of coming at that, I think, Piers. I mean, just standing back and sort of you know, taking my BPF hat off for a minute, mm. um, how successful was it as a speech? Um, I don't think he had a great hand to play, if I'm honest, you know. Um, and I think you could make an argument that he did the best he could with the hand he had. Putting my BPF hat back on, actually it was completely derailed by a combination of the announcement the week before about net zero um, Mm. and the HS two saga. So I'm finding it now, you know, maybe Mm. another test uh, at the week and a bit of distance. I'm finding it hard to remember what Rishi did really talk about other than I remember, you know, that actually I spent my time talking to, Ministers and talking to stakeholders and others about those two things because they very directly impacted on us, and yeah. neither of them yeah. were handled particularly well. Uh, one of them I understand the politics of, the net zero one, the HS2 one. I just, Mark's put, I just don't understand the handling of it. You know, whatever the merits of the decision, uh, I do not understand the handling of it and how that went so badly wrong. So I spent you know, more time listening to Andy Burnham, Andy Street talking about how outraged they were about the handling of the yes. decision, let alone the decision itself and how they feel about that. And that's not a great look. You know for no. someone representing a sector you know who relies on clarity from government certainty from government trust you know in the in in, in political leadership that's not a great look you were talking about those uh,
1: slogans peers and i think it's interesting isn't it that well on the one hand we've got the income the, the party in power wanting to talk about being the change and the potential new government actually wanting not to frighten anybody and say that actually things are going to be safe and secure. And, you know, normally it's completely the other way around. And I think it highlights what's gone on in the last four or five years, both in terms of things like COVID and Ukraine, but also the maelstrom that was the Tory parliamentary party for much of 2022. And therefore Rishi knows as the fifth prime minister, and my feeling is that Rishi basic job is going is to clear up somebody else's mess, and I suspect you'll get no real thanks for it when we get to the ballot box. And that's a tough, tough number to, to deal with. So I, I think there's that on the on the, on that hand. I think there is still this question, though I thought the Starmer speech was very good, both in terms of character but in terms of just adding enough additional material in the knowledge that the election may still not be called until the 1st of September next year, you know, so there's a lot of water that can pass under the, and as we saw, suddenly when they arrive at Liverpool, within 24 hours, there's the Middle East you know, going up Mm. the flames which could have, for a Labour Party, with the whole challenge around anti-Semitism and so on could have been a real problem for them, um, in a political sense, but actually they managed to come through it, and I didn't get any sense that there were major squeals from the, the pro Palestinian lobby within the Labour Party. So I think that reversal of slogans is actually a very interesting comment on where the national mood is, because I think, I personally think people do want a change of, of administration. Um, but I don't think they want something that's razzmatazz over egged. I think being a quiet, steady, bank manager may actually
0: be what people are looking for. It's interesting you're saying about um, Sunak's, it's almost the pitch, isn't it? The pitch of Sunak is to be the person who cleans up the the steady pair of hands. I was talking to somebody who who said that he, he'd probably make quite a good civil servant, but he shouldn't be a politician. Um, so I don't know how you feel about that, Melanie. Um, but uh, <laughs> that thing about him him clearing up the mess, what he was implying was that the mess is the last 30 years. Yeah. And that includes thirteen years of conservative government. It also includes the the post thatcherite post thatcher uh, consensus. he's I mean, he's not only taking a wrecking ball to h s two to net zero to all these other things that people in the industry have have said, yes, that's the direction of travel. We are committed to this. to have that swept away is mm-hmm. an extraordinary move. um but to have on top of that this this idea that actually everything that George Osborne was talking about is. Nonsense needs to be consigned to the bin. Everything that Michael Hesseltine was talking about when he came back with the, uh, the triumvirate, that that needs to be consigned to the bin. I mean, this is it was an extraordinary stance. Whereas then you see with Labour, with Keir Starmer, he's actually saying, no, no, hang on. Remember those things that we did. Remember those things that we did when we were in power. Remember the, what, the, what New Labour did. Remember before New Labour. Mm-hmm. And try to forge this narrative of, of as, as you say, Mark, this sort of con- continuity, but also pointing to the good things that they've done. Uh, I, what was What's your take on that, Melanie, that, that this this sort of and for the for the industry as well? What's what, what's it like receiving both of those options and which is the most palatable?
2: I don't know whether it's slightly sure. cynically, but I mean, you could take the view that that's a tactical decision on both sides. So, you know, I mean. I think it would be relatively easy to persuade yourself that saying you know as the current prime minister we'll carry on doing what we're doing you know trust us that's going to deliver would not be a sensible tactic (laughs) so you have to position yourself as uh, differentiated from what's gone before even though you were involved with quite a lot of it Uh, so tactically i can you know i can understand that Um, and tactically i can understand that you know labor however whatever the appetite for change may be it has got a huge mountain to climb to get to a working parliamentary majority so mm. you know i can tactically understand exactly why you know harking back to glory days to great times and the future for our Jews, i can exactly understand that too so I, I think i'm reading much more into it than you know, what both sides are being advised in terms of tactics at this point in time. And of course, it's, you know, party conference is a very particular beast because you're playing to a very particular audience.
0: Because you are playing to the party faithful in the hall. You're also pay, playing to the, the the wider fringe group, the people who've turned up, the other delegates. And then you're playing to the nation at large, which is... And, and especially I think with this particular party conference, this is a prelude to the election, isn't it? That's that's what they're setting out their stall for.
2: Yeah, I think it's more, I mean, Mark will know better than, much better than I, but I think it's highly likely those were the last party conferences or autumn party conferences, certainly before a general election.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because obviously, although the election doesn't have to be called until the beginning of December next year, because of the way with the parliamentary five-year process works, the reality is that, given A, where the opinion polls are, um, but generally you don't want to be trapped into the last uh, few weeks. So I think that although the government and the opposition will be suspecting that uh, an election is called in the first couple of days of September with a view to voting at the second half of October, the opportunity to do this in May or June of next year has to be kept open. My gut instinct is that if he feels he can go in May, June, he will. But I think more in the end, because of events, I think he may end up being pushed into September. But who knows what's around the corner? I think that's if we've learnt anything, it is uh, the old adage that events, dear boy events will affect things. So I think the interesting question is what therefore is going to be in the King's speech. Um, and because it's a very short parliamentary period and it will be I think rather it'll be trailing um it'll be a series of trailers um because the chance of getting major bills through in what is essentially probably a six month seven month parliamentary period is slim so you have three or four highlights and then you have you know uh coming soon we will do this you know um, yeah, if we are re-elected, uh, they won't be called that, but that's how it will be done. It's what we saw with Gordon Brown, and it's what we'll, mm. we'll see with with,
0: with with the current government as well. Very the, much the content of the speeches, the scrapping HS2 North, how has that gone down with, with your membership, Melanie?
2: So I think the most, you know, there are obviously members who are more directly affected than others. Um but you know, whether you're affected or not, you know, I come back to we're a long-term industry, we l- rely on clarity of government policy, we rely on certainty of you know direction of travel. And you know, we kind of I think I was sitting next to Andy Street for quite a lot of um uh Monday, which was very interesting. We we both had purchase in the same same lounge. Yeah, but I think he put it really well actually when he said, you know, if if as a government you say you're gonna do something you better bloody well do it and that's 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 the real challenge around it is you know these are massive decisions but if you commit to them you kind of you know people engineer whole businesses you know that they engineer whole strategies around the fact that they know what's going to be coming and what's going to happen and if you suddenly draw a line under that then, you you know, you, you've caused damage in all sorts of places. You know, mm. listen to Laura show talking about how they designed a whole strategy for the West Midlands um, public transport around the fact that they were linking to HS2 stations, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it, it's that really, it's that kind of, uh, and, and that link to, you know, whatever the merits of the decision, you know, the lack of consultation, the lack of transparency around it gives you no opportunity to debate how you mitigate some of the risks that people took that are now just uh, completely undermined, the decisions people took are just completely undermined by the sudden nature and slightly brutal nature of the whole thing. I mean, of course, there are questions around how you actually deliver the cancelling of HS2, which is easy to say, much, much harder to do. And, you know, again, linked to this of how much time is you know is there going to be before a general election and what might we be facing after the election you know there's all sorts of complexity in here that hasn't begun to unravel yet
1: i mean i was always a slight skeptic of hs2 in that when it was being discussed i i didn't understand why taxpayers were paying for the stations you know government is creating a new transport hub and bringing x million people to curzon street in um or the Curzon area in Birmingham then it, to me it was bonkers that we were the, them paying for the stations we should have said to the landowners right this is going to be coming here is the specification for the railway station we want and here is the um one pound that we're going to pay you for the 150 year lease you're going to give us in order for you because of course it generates
0: tremendous wealth for mm. those, those, those properties that's now the model that they're saying they're looking at for Euston isn't it?
1: That well they're saying yes but of course the problem is you can't it's difficult to retrofit that onto um, a site like Euston and I, 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 n- I never quite understood why we needed to go to Euston if it I, I, I always felt that although Common should have when where they said that was going to be a key station they should have done what they they done with Stratford and Liverpool Street which is to say right Paddington is already on the west side of London struggling to manage its numbers so let us create Somewhere that's linking HS2 with the Elizabeth line on the west side of London and make it a hub, a new hub for railway inter- interaction, and make that the gateway into London. Um, it's not, I mean, you can argue, well, we want to go to King's Cross because then we can link to Eurotunnel, but my golly, the additional cost mm. uh, is just eye-watering. You know, well, you only have to think about you know, if you're going to tunnel and then uh, clear the area immediately around Houston. But of course, we're in it. You know, this is the problem with construction projects that too many of my political former colleagues don't understand, which is that once you push the button, you started and the machine is going to roll on and every decision you change adds to the cost and lengthens the time of the contract and complicates it and makes it more difficult to deliver. And I've always felt government has been a terrible client in this context. In some ways I can admire what Rishi has done in saying do you know what actually I'm going to call this out and say it's a scheme that's run out of control but in another sense the way it's been handled has been very poor um, and we'll see whether this development corporation or however they're going to try and make Houston work happen because there's no political so there's no civic support for it, the mayor won't support it, Camden certainly won't be keen on it and what are the finances now we're talking about substantial height we're talking about flats presumably um it's a biggie so you know i i it, it, it's a muddle in in truth I, and i do as i say i i was never totally convinced that hs2 was the answer to the north's transport uh situation but once committed you've got to you've got to crack on and do it as melanie said
0: and what about um what is replacing it or um in uh, some of these things have already been announced but th- this idea of the network north what it, it seemed to have won over andy street although maybe he's just being kind what's what's no, the he, feeling of, of he, he, he won a lot of money out of it and good for him uh, Andy's an old friend
1: and i had no doubt that he was negotiating all the way through and that is exactly what the people of west midlands want uh from their mayor somebody who's shrewd enough to uh stand you know firmly so uh, i again it, it does feel as though the list of items that have been cobbled together on very short notice has not been thought through and whether it's tram schemes in bristol that have been withdrawn or whatever mm. um he would have been far better to say i'm going to establish we want to be able to save that money but i'm going to consult with the mayors in the north to see where they think that money can be most effective and these are some examples of what it could be but I must work with them. So that would have bought in the time. But this is an old central local devolution. Is it really in the mindset of Whitehall? Not sure. And uh, I think that's one of the problems.
0: Well, it came across more as pork barrel to me, that it was... You know, it was interesting that the cheers you got from the, the conference hall came from specific locations around the conference hall when he mentioned a specific location. And it was yeah. it was very much playing constituency by constituency. Is is this an example, Melanie, of, of why you should only really come up with policy when you've got mm-hmm. some really good civil servants in the room and some experts <laughs> as opposed to just your spads and the people who are desperately trying to rewrite your speech to take into account mm-hmm. the fact that you were photographed with an incriminating document? <laughs>
2: Well, as a former civil servant, of course, I'm going to say that you should always uh, take decisions when 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 you've had good advice from good civil servants. and actually, yeah, civil servants get very nervous if ministers go off and talk to people on their own. um and party conferences are a nightmare for civil servants because they're always wondering what what what's going to happen while they're away, and you know uh, <laughs> it's, all of that. so I, well, we'll do. I think I think it all comes back to, you know, we know uh, to mark one of Mark's earlier points, you know. The government can't pay for all the things it wants to do, and the next government won't be able to either. So, you know, the future has to be around harnessing the capital that's available, a lot of which is in the private sector, and I don't mean in the hands of, you know, Speculators and high net worths. I mean, pension funds, insurance funds. You know, our our money, but you know, that other people are looking after for us until we need it. Um, you know, that uh, the vision. You know, that I don't think it's party political. Actually, you know, I think both sides are kind of onto this. You know, mm. that we should make that money work for us doubly. Yes. In other words, you know, it's got to make a return for us. So our futures, our individual futures, are secured. But it's also the right money to be investing in the future of our country. I think you know that philosophy. Yeah, but that relies on, you know, all the things we've just been talking about that we haven't seen over the last week. That relies on trust on both sides. It relies on clarity and certainty. And it relies on not chopping and changing in terms of once you've decided what you're going to do. Um, so those are, I think, are the lessons to learn. Now, I mean, you know, civil servants don't have a premium on giving that kind of advice. You know, I've just given it for free, haven't I? <laughs> you know, nobody does. <laughs> um, but the other point that Mark makes, you know, around just the consultation, you know, don't decide for other people people and other places what is right for them, work with them to help them articulate yeah. their vision, and then enable them to deliver it, that has to be the blueprint and the model.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's interesting to say about the party, the, the cross-party consensus on um, that approach to, to public private money, private finance, I mean that was something that was very much a key part of Keir Starmer's speech, wasn't it, in, um, in Liverpool. Almost almost as a coda, sort of touched towards the end, is oh yes, and by the way, this is how we're going to have to pay for this and please don't get upset. But the the rest of the speech, I mean, it, it seemed in direct contrast to what we were hearing from Rishi Sunak in Manchester. Whereas Rishi Sunak was talking about the wrecking ball. It was unapologetically about building, wasn't it? Keir Starmer's speech. It was it was I think I did a quick count and I think the word build, built all, or building was mentioned thirty-four times in Starmer's speech. i mentioned 11 times in Sunak's, but in Sunak's it was all about building little bits of railway. Um, so, I mean, that that focus of an hour long speech, about half of it was devoted to this theme of building development and, and not in a sort of a, a vague way. There were some real policies there. Was, was that the feeling that you were getting, Melanie, that this is, we're seeing a real direction of travel for the party?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you expect to hear about housing, I think, at party conferences and you will in up to an election. But what we're used to historically is once we're through an election and a government's elected, housing goes back down the agenda of importance in reality. So I think it might be different this time. I mean, it's unprecedented, I think, you know, to to go to party conferences and not only the um whatever DLUC is called at that particular point in time, not only that Secretary of State, but the cha- the Chancellor or the Shadow Chancellor mm. and the Prime Minister or the Shadow Prime Minister, you know, the the leading. But yeah. all of them and for the, so therefore every day, main day of the conference, there to be a focus on not only housing but planning. I mean, my goodness me. Yes. You I mean that to talk about planning. It's just unprecedented and I do think it, you know, it's real. I think they really understood um that, you know, planning we need to turn around how we see planning. You know, it needs to be seen as the key enabler of unlocking growth. Mm-hmm. And delivering better homes for people, better communities for people, better infrastructure, rather than a blocker, which is what it has been. And I think, you know, I think that that message has landed. And that's partly why we saw we saw uh, this week in Liverpool, which obviously, you know, from a BPF perspective, was hugely welcome.
0: Like I suppose the next question is whether they can deliver it if they if they win the election. But yeah, that, that thing on the planning system, that he described it as as the one barrier so big, so imposing that it blocks out all light from the other side. Yes. I mean, this is this is brilliant. I've I've had um, slightly tipsy conversations with developers who have been less poetically vicious about the planning system than Keir Starmer. It goes on a blockage that stops this country building roads, grid connections, laboratories, train lines, warehouses, wind farms, power stations an obstacle to the aspirations of millions our restrictive planning system conference we must bulldoze through it i mean that's that's an extraordinary thing to have in a in a prospective prime minister's speech isn't it a declaration of war on the planning system but you're right that, that that idea of retooling it to being something positive as opposed to a massive obstacle they and they want to do that within the first six months it's very interesting I think as to
1: the nature of what those reforms will be uh, I think they will reach into compulsory purchase um I think clearly they're not going to allow people to the nature of hope value will I mm-hmm. suspect melt away if they're wise they'll do that particularly if they're going to have new town corporations I think if they're also wise they need to work out the politics of green belt and grey belt whatever the grey belt is
0: um very carefully. That, that's another um, one in the first six months, isn't it? That we, we we're gonna yes. get some sort of um well, a, a map. Careful, what,
1: yeah, true. Now of course what we're talking about here is probably a big planning bill. So that can take eighteen months to become law, yeah. You're not careful. So, you know, I would say to them what they need to think about is what's already on the statute book, particularly in terms of um, the Infrastructure Act of 2015 and other things that might allow them to start to move things more quickly. Mm. And then maybe they will They'll need to do some primary legislation thereafter. But um, I think also the 1.5 million households is very ambitious. In and five I, I years. Yeah, because what you have to remember here is. A, they don't know what the state of the market's going to be, most people I think feel that the residential home ownership market is going to be quite tight through to the next summer, if interest rates, let's just say things turn for the worse in Ukraine, or indeed in the Middle East, and oil gets chopped off in one or other, uh, where will interest rates go, where will inflation go is it for the new government, so and also i think they're right about new towns but remember new towns take a hell of a lot of time to start delivering front doors uh, milton keynes was designated in 67 the master plan was completed in 1970 the first houses didn't start being built until 1973. so you know, you've, you've got to, and, that, and that's without the current level of, of planning rules and regulations around sustainability. I mean, it was a an easier period in those days. So when you think about that, you think, I totally agree with new settlements, but do not kid yourself they are going to deliver any of those 1.5 million in the first three or
0: four years, because they ain't. And the focus initially has to be, as you say, on these brownfield sites. It has to be on on the the field sites. That's not right, is it? Grey belt. Grey belt. Thank you. Yes, there we go. It it has to be there. And they they seem to be be saying that that was the case. I mean, that's that's good news for you, isn't it, Melanie? That that's that's what your members have been saying for quite some time. That we need to have not only a focus on this, but a plan to deliver it. A plan to make it easier for the developers to deliver it.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, Sophia. So I think that's right. And talking to uh, Matt Pennycook um, in Liverpool, I mean, I think you know, they understand all the things that Mark's talked about. I mean, they they completely understand that. And I think you know the one and a half million homes over five years. I mean, I agree. I think it's hugely ambitious, but at least they're clear that there will be a target. <laughs> yeah. Good starting point. Um, and I think it's deliberately couched as one point five million over. Five years rather than three hundred thousand a year, because they know they won't be able to deliver three hundred in year one. What they're hoping yeah. to do is create the momentum that allows them to build. You know, and I think there yeah. is, you know, uh, uh, there is there is relatively low hanging fruit there. You know, there are projects that are just stuck <laughs> uh, yeah. that could be unblocked pretty quickly and could start to move pretty quickly if they were unblocked. And we you know, we've been we've been showcasing examples of those projects. You know, to to both the current government and to uh, the Labour Party to help them to understand, you know, what the blockers are. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's I think they they understand that you know a lot of this is long term, and I think you know they're they're planning for ten years rather than five years. And so would I be in their shoes? Uh, I think. And as, as you say, Mark, you know, I mean, new towns aren't going to come out of the ground overnight or anytime soon. But as a statement of intent and direction of travel, they give yeah. some confidence, I think, the investment community, that there's a strategy, and you know, the, the idea of development corridors, um, mm. which you know kind of allow you to sort of grow the infrastructure, you know, which which is a part of the response, I guess, to the. Um, gapping of HS2 too, too, you know, think of it in terms of these corridors. What do we need to do not these corridors? The recognition yeah. that the planning system is under-resourced to deliver any of this, so they're going to put more planning resource back in. You know, I think, again, you know, we've been saying this loud and clear for, yeah. for years.
0: But yeah, having so a commitment think- to, to 300 new planners, ensuring that every planning authority has at least one full-time member of staff, full-time planning officer, I mean, that's that's a pretty good commitment, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's not going to be enough. Great yeah. start. But I think, you know, there, there's, you know, and again, we've been talking to the current government about this, just you know as well as to uh, the opposition parties. You know, I think there is a balance to be struck about how you were you putting additional resource into the system. Because worst case scenario is it kind of gets dissipated to the mm, point yeah. in which actually you don't hit key sites and key development opportunities with enough resource. And you've got other resource that is, you know, relatively lying idle, if you like, mm. in terms of the big picture and in terms of driving economic growth yes. and development activities. So I think there is a balance to be struck, you know, which um, the current government is also, you know, on in terms of Michael Gove's speech talking about prioritizing particular areas and focusing resource on those areas so to make sure they deliver in those areas. I think there is a balance between that approach and making sure that all planning authorities you know do have. The resource to be able to move caseloads forward. Uh, and just to your point here's if I may, while, while I've got the microphone, um, you know, I, I think, you know, that, you know, the rhetoric, and I think it was and will remain, but it really needs to remain, you know, it may be about not war on the planning system, I, I talk about, you know, reform of the planning system, but it's definitely not more on the planning profession or you know I mean because the other part of this you know turning around planning as an enabler has to be that we are really positive about the role of planning and about what planning officers do um, because you know we need a kind of skill strategy to deliver this pipeline of new planners that we want to see coming in and really helping to drive all of this development activity because we can't sort of pick them up and import them from other parts of the world. Certainly not with uh, the current government's immigration policy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, but we can't do that anyway. You know, we have to grow our own. And so we have to have a strategy for doing that. And we have to make sure that, you know, we are really proud of our planners and we're really proud of the work that they do, because it's going to be so fundamental to delivering, you know, a better life for people and and the economic growth that we need to stimulate.
0: There was also talk of, of the planning passports as well I mean that's something that has a, a, a nifty name but I didn't couldn't see much detail on it is that something you've you've managed to get more detail on from your talks to, to people like Matthew Penningcook the shadow housing and planning minister and, and and with others?
2: I think it's a concept Piers. at this stage I think you know it's meant to symbolise the fact that you know if if you've had if you as the private sector as the developer have had the right conversations with the local authority if we're all kind of agreed it needs to be really simple to get from an agreement mm. around what's going to be delivered to delivering yeah uh, and you know you've got to cut out millions of pounds of you know, new expenditure a lot of process, a lot of red tape a lot of you know pages of documents along the way I think it I think it's mm. I think that's what it's meant to signal I think it's meant to be a signal that you know there have to be the right conversations so that the you know the public uh, sector and the communities get what they should get reasonably as they're part of the value that comes from development but yes. if you've had that conversation you just need to get on with it and I think you know the passport is a symbol for saying have the conversations we know what we want to achieve let's get on
0: with it And similarly, it seems that the retooling of the of the nature of the planning inspectorate that seems to fall into that same category. Looking at these policies, I mean, the the other things about um, the development corporations, development zones, giving more power to the mayors. All of this seems I mean, it seems fairly familiar, not from Rishi Sunak's speech, but from speeches that we've heard from Michael Gove, from speeches that we've heard. Well, let's go back. George Osborne, let's go back even further. We've heard these from John Prescott. These sorts of things appear to be not hugely controversial. But it was only Labour and it's only um, Starmer's team that are talking about them now. Is that because the Conservative Party has lost interest in this area, or is it because, as you seem to be implying before, it's happening under the surface, it's happening away from the podium? This work of government is still going on. It's the work of opposition to get people excited about these things that you will be doing when you get in. What's what's the actual picture of what's going on?
2: I'll have I'll have a first go, although Mark's the, Mark's the expert yes. on all of this stuff, I mean, I, I think there is something in what you said here is around, you know, this kind of, it comes back to the tactics, doesn't it, and what was it in Liverpool, it was the Labour Party conference, you know, there's a majority of the elected mayors in this country are Labour mayors. Um, you know, there's an there's an audience to play to, but I don't, and that's not to say that I doubt the authenticity of what was being said, but I think it's also about the tactics. I think it's you know it's only fair to remind ourselves, you know, we've got the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, which has got you know very significant uh, steps within it uh, around devolution. So I think you know both parties actually are are serious. You know, there's a question that I don't think that seriousness will ever go far enough for those who are hungry for more devolution locally and we are still a very let's not forget we are still very centralised in terms of where power sits so I think there'll always be that tension between how far and how fast uh, uh, the government of the day is prepared to go in really letting go of the leaders because it's a lot harder I suspect to let go of them uh, you know than it is to talk about letting go of them so maybe that actually we need to give you know credit to the Michael Gove actually at this point you know for having argued um, for the Current government to go as far as it did in in the levelling up and regeneration believe, as far as it's gone over the last few years, and because that's the hard yards once you're in government to actually persuade police to yes. let go of levers of power, that's the really hard yards. Not talking about doing it in the future.
1: Yes, I, I, that's absolutely right. So, that, so I think I think the answer to your essay question appears uh, is yes for an incoming or a, a, an aspiring government. It is about trying to talk about the new things they could do. Whereas for the incumbents, well, they're in, they're in train, and therefore announcing what you're doing rather than announcing what you're going to do doesn't really work with the media because quite naturally they say, well, we know you're all doing that, but what, what's next? Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's always the thing I always found frustrating as a minister, which was uh, actually giving progress reports gets no coverage whatsoever, mm. um, and so therefore, you're, and and that's not just about wanting, you know, uh, egotistical news coverage. Um, though you know heaven forbid any politician might want that but it's actually really about wanting to communicate that to be able to say well, well two years ago we said we were going to do this and this is where we've got to and here are some of the challenges and here but, but this is where we have you know and so it does become quite difficult I mean I think Michael Gove's done a tremendous job in, in pushing that forward the ambition is good uh, it will it's it also if you think about it from Keir Starmer's point of view he wants to get stuff done delegating lots of this to other people loosens his ability to make sure it does happen whatever it is mm-hmm. whether it's a new transport system a new town corporation or whatever and so there will be naturally once they get into downing street uh if they are elected there will be a hesitance about what are we giving away here because we're in five years going to have to face the re-election uh prime minister starmer uh, his advisors will say if we give this away to Birmingham and Manchester and whatever and they don't deliver it won't be good enough for us to say, well, hey, you know, we gave it away, but but they haven't delivered. The question will come to us. So there will always be that tension. I I think it's a cultural thing. Personally, I think there has to be a, a, a conscious decision to say, look, what central government about is being the enabling uh, function. Um, but within a raft of key areas, whether it's the delivery of education, or the delivery of various things, transport planning and so on and so forth, that is the uh, that the, the decisions as to which of the options must come to the mayor and that will be a big challenge because that means fewer ministers, smaller Whitehall, smaller parliament, and those you know there's quite a few vested interests I've just named in those three three particular elements there. Who might just come up with a reason why actually really be the wise thing to do, Prime Minister, not to go quite so far, so you've always got that tension that that's the cultural issue
0: looking at the two speeches, Melanie, having been there for both of them and been sort of at the conference both conferences, what's your feeling coming away from it do you Do you get that feeling that actually there's there's a lot in common between the two, or do you see one as? A party that's struggling to find something to say and the other is a party that has a clear vision what's or or vice versa what's what's the the feeling that you're getting
2: so i mean the bpf is apolitical it's our job to work with the government of the day whoever that is i mean my takeaway is that you know come back to housing and planning are on the political agenda in a meaningful way in a way they haven't been certainly in my time at the bpf and i think you know probably in the memory of a great, you know, great uh, part of the current uh, workforce in in the property sector. So I think that that's good. And I think, you know, the the role of the built environment in delivering, you know, everything from decarbonisation to um, economic growth to better life, qualities of life for people, better homes for people. I think, you know, has been recognised in a way that is, you know, uh, generational. I think, and that huge opportunity for our sector to grasp. Um, you know, whoever, whichever government we're working with in a, a year and a bit of time, um, you know, I think that, that that reality has sunk home and become meaningful um, in a way that it, it, I haven't seen, um, and that I don't think many people in the sector have seen. And that's, as I say, a massive opportunity for us, and we have to grasp it and make sure, you know, which is my, partly my job, but not uniquely my job, you know, to make sure we are telling that story effectively, making those connections effectively, and that we are positioned as a constructive and positive partner, both to national government and to local government, whatever powers they, they end up with. We've seen that already in, in the combined authorities. We're seeing that working really effectively um, with, with mayors across the country, and we're going to see a lot more of that, I think.
1: One interesting que- question will be, does the incoming Labour Party understand Bill to rent and its relationship with the private rented sector? is Commonhold going to definitely replace leasehold in its entirety and have they thought that through and I suppose from a personal point of view, I hope that Matthew Pennycook, and he may not thank me for it as as I'm from the other side, but yeah he seems an eminently sensible, uh, grounded individual, Um, I hope that he gets longer than certainly I had as Housing and Planning (laughs) Minister, um, and indeed a lot longer than some others. Um, Although I noticed that in recent years, Chancellors and Prime Ministers have seemed to turn around quite as quickly as well. But I I just think constancy of having, so that Melanie and her team and many others don't have to go in and keep reintroducing themselves Mm. to another face, another face, another face, um, and the lack of continuity of policy. I, I suspect the truth is that if Housing and Planning is this high up, they're going to be going into see number ten as much as they're going to be seeing Matthew Pennycook, but you know, he seems eminently sensible, very grounded, and I hope he has a long run if they are elected.
2: Just on your point about build to rent, Mark, um, I was um, hugely encouraged by the fact that in Keir Starmer's speech he talked about renting as well as buying. That's
0: you know, true. Which,
2: which, given that they've got their sort of seventy percent home ownership target on the one hand and the commitment to social housing being the second biggest form of tenure I thought you know taking three words to recognize you know the role of a of a high quality rental sector um, in, in that mix was you know I chose to read significance into that mark <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that is all we have time for for another month uh, but we will be back and we will have more special guests and hopefully Melanie can I put you on the spot and say will you come back will you join us again because that's ah. great. I'd love to. Thanks, Bill. Ah, you. No, you kind of had to say that, didn't you, with the tape running? So for me and sir and the DG, um this has been EG's Office Politics. And we'll spe- see, we'll what? Spee you? So Until the office. next time. Indeed. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thanks, Mark.